awesome. Go 1215 service. Um, well, that song is a powerful reminder of what we heard last weekend at our Good Friday and Easter services. And um, when we talked about the greatest show on earth, celebrating the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. And then today, as we kick off our new four-week series called Riding the Storm, I love the words in that song, Who Can Stop the Lord Almighty. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And I think those are truths that we all want to hold on to when we're going through a storm in life. Um, well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Kensington. My name's Becky, and I'm part of our campus team here at Orion. And speaking of Easter, um, we just wanted to take a minute because so many of you invited friends and family and neighbors to services. We wanted to celebrate that last weekend, we had over 10,000 people here at Orion campus. I know, that's awesome. And across all eight of our Kensington campuses, we had over 35,000 people. And again, what's even more important than those numbers are the stories. Um, so many people that started a journey with Jesus or deepened their journey uh, were here. And so we just, again, want to celebrate that. And if you were here for the first time last weekend and you came back today, we are so glad you're here. Uh, we want to invite you to stop by our starting point area. It's right out in the lobby after the service. Um, our team in the orange shirts would love to meet you, tell you a little bit more about who we are, answer any questions you have, and we even have a free gift for you to take home. So stop by on your way out today. All right, so we have some pretty cool things coming up in this next month that I just wanted to share with you. First off is our Move Out Conference. And we thought the best way to give you some vision for what we'll experience there is to uh, watch this video together. So take a look at this. So if you're at all like me, maybe you like coming down to Detroit's Eastern Market to grab some farm fresh food, hang out with some friends, check out the local art scene, and just soak up the culture of the city. But what if we were able to see a place like this as more than just a fun spot to hang? What if we actually saw this as the church? So there's a good chance if you're watching this right now, that there's a place just like this in your own life where God's already working and he's calling you to join him. It could be at where you work. It could be in your local school. It could be at your kids' sporting events. It could be anywhere. April 20th and 21st, we're hosting the Move Out Conference at the Troy campus. This conference has got one idea in mind, to connect you to God's calling on your life. We want to help you develop a plan and see you move out in action, becoming the church, loving and serving the people that God has placed all around you. Coming here from author, speaker, and pastor of New Song Church in California, Dave Gibbons. What would the church look like if it's not contained on a piece of land? The CEO of the New York City Rescue Mission, Craig Mays. If there's a child that is homeless, you don't bring them in so that you can get them into heaven. You bring them in because they shouldn't be homeless. Pastor of Grace Midtown in Atlanta, Georgia, Matt Reynolds. We want to be a part of the kingdom that is building a culture that honors God and one another. Or are we just going to be a part of our own little kingdom, building our own little life? And founder of Kensington Church, Steve Andrews. People that are launching new initiatives, new dreams, new ideas, new ministries that, that are going to change the way people live. We believe that you are the church, and it's time for us to move out. To register, hit up kensingtonchurch.org slash move out. So I am so excited about this conference. It's the first time we've hosted it. And just recently, my husband and I got to do some training with one of the speakers, Dave Gibbons. 
And he challenged and inspired us um, to really think about how did God uniquely design us um, and how can we move out beyond these walls to love our neighbors. So I hope you'll join me. I've already registered. Everything you need is online uh, to go ahead and do that. All right, also coming up in a couple weeks, we are kicking off our spring courses here at Orion. Things like Financial Peace, uh, Bible Basics, and Alpha. And these are all great ways to jump in and get a taste of what group life is all about um, here at Kensington. Uh, Our Alpha course is eight weeks. It happens on Monday nights. We're kicking off April 16th. It's a great time to just connect with some people. You get to share a meal together. That's the best news. No cooking on Monday night if you come. Uh, And then you watch a video and you dive into some of life's big questions at your table. So things like, is the Bible really relevant? Why did Jesus have to die? What is my purpose? Um, And we believe those questions are best explored in the context of community. Um, And so we hope, whether you're a seeker, a skeptic, whether you just want to meet a few people, or maybe you want to learn how to share your faith better, we hope that you'll check out Alpha. We do ask that you register um, online so that we can be ready for the meal. But we also say, if you come and you don't like it, don't come back. Try something different. So we want to make it easy uh, for you to see if this is a right fit for you. Um, in fact, our uh, discipleship director, Charlotte Kelly, was just telling me that a few weeks ago, the winter course uh, finished up. And so they had some open mic time for um, the different participants to share about what they experienced. And she said it went on, the sharing, for about 30 minutes. Um, so many people have found connection, uh, had answered some questions that they were um, on their journey, and just wanted to talk about the life change. Uh, So if that's something you want to try, uh, you can register online or you can head out to the table. We'll have our our team out there and also all the courses that we have uh, that are be starting. You can look at that when you uh, leave the service today. All right, one last thing is happening next Sunday night right here at 6 p.m. It is our baptism service. It's one of my favorite services of the year. Um, And if you are thinking maybe it's time for me to take the plunge, let's watch this video and you'll get some vision for that. In 2000, I had a transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, so much so that I came home from that Easter service, looked at my wife, and I said, the man that left today is not the man that stands in front of you. And it began this journey with Jesus. In fact, it was about a three or four year journey. And friends of mine used to say, hey, you you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized. But I felt like God was saying, no, wait, wait for your wife. And in 2004, my wife came to me and said, hey, you know that baptism thing? I want to do that with you. And we got baptized that summer. It was a beautiful ceremony out in Stony Creek. When we were coming home, my wife said to me, you know what? When we were coming out of the water, I felt like God gave me a vision. Now, if you know my wife, Amy, that's not how she speaks at all. And I said, oh, tell me what this vision is. And she said, you know when you're on a roller coaster and you get, you're in the seat and all of a sudden you start going up that hill, chink, chink, chink. And you start moving up that hill to go to the crest of the hill. She goes, that's the vision I had. And then I felt like God said to me, buckle up. You're about to go on the ride of your life. And that statement was one of the most true statements we had ever heard. Over the last 14 years, Amy and I have been on the ride of our life with Christ. And Kensington is holding their baptism service on April 14th and 15th. And if you're that person that feels like God is tugging you to him, then we're inviting you to be baptized. There's nothing magical in the water. But as you go down into the water, it washes your old self away. And as you come up, it's symbolic of God making you into a new creation. It's your public declaration of an inward reality. So come be with us. Come get baptized. And I know that you're going to have to buckle up 
and get ready for the ride of your life. Come join us. Well, I love Danny and Amy's story. And what's even more amazing is that so many of you sitting in the seats have stories equally incredible. And so we hope that you'll consider um, joining us in getting baptized next Sunday. Uh, You can watch a video online. It'll answer all your questions, and then you can register. And then we want you to come back here at 6 p.m. next Sunday night. Um, And for everyone else, we want you to come join us. So as a family, we can celebrate all these stories of life change that God is doing right here in our own community. All right, well, before we jump into the rest of the service, we have our lead teaching pastor, Dave Wilson, here today to lead us through. Um, But why don't you guys stand up? Why don't you say hi to someone? Tell them one thing you're looking forward to when it gets warm, because that's going to happen this week. I know it. Brighter than the 
Take heart's a perfect way to walk into a series on adversity and pain and trials and storms in our life. And, you know, it's sort of interesting sitting in the front row watching the room as we did our little phone light thing to find out, you know, what, what's happening to the people in the room. First of all, I learned a couple things. A lot more iPhone users than Android. Uh, it seems like Michigan State fans are louder than Michigan fans. I don't know. Like sort of noxious a little bit. I'm kidding. The last service they're yelling so loud. Um, uh, but it's interesting as well when you go to the questions about life. You find out very quickly that most people in this room have experienced some kind of storm. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it's just part of life. In fact, I said last week when I was promoting this series, and it's, it's definitely true. When it comes to storms, you have three options. Number one is you're either coming out of one, somewhat recent, or you're in one right now, or here's some good news, you're headed into one and don't know it. That's the way life is. And if you're sitting there going, that's not true, you're probably 12 years old. Because if you've lived very long, you know storms 
are part of life and people are sitting right beside you that are in one right now if, if you aren't. And I'm not kidding, we will all go through one probably this year or soon. And so we need to know, okay, how do we go through storms? Because everybody goes through them. How do we go? So let me pray. So I really hope God speaks today in the next three weeks of this series. Father God, thank you that even in the middle of a storm, you're unchanging. And sometimes it's hard to, to know that or believe that, but God, it's the truth. And so Lord, I pray that right now you speak to those of us who are in storms or just coming out of one or possibly heading into one. God, we need your heart, your perspective, your, your wisdom. And mostly we need you. We need your presence. So Lord, I pray that you would give hope today. There's some people here that are just, they've lost hope. And you would enable us to take heart and give hope. Even if it's just a glimmer, give hope. So that when we walk out of here, we walk out knowing the God of the universe is with us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, it's interesting as you, um, you know, think about storms. Sometimes they, they happen, you can see them coming. I'm not talking about a literal storm. I'm talking about a, 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 a adversity in our life. We sort of know it's coming and see it's coming. Other times, isn't it just like everything's going great, everything's fine, no problems in your life, and boom, you get the phone call. Or your child makes a really bad decision. A woman came up to me in the lobby and just said her, her son just drove drunk this week and got in a wreck. Didn't kill anybody, but really bad decision. And you don't know. Sometimes it's a decision you made that causes storms or pain to come. Sometimes somebody else makes a decision. Those are the hardest, aren't they? You had nothing to do with this, and yet you're walking through a storm because somebody else, a stranger, or somebody that you love or know made a decision. It's interesting how they... It doesn't matter how they happen, we end up in storms. In fact, uh, sometimes just a really, uh, I, I found this uh, insurance report years ago. I heard read and I went online to find out, is this really a true story? It's actually a true story. It happened in Australia years ago about a guy who filed an accident report because he got hurt on the job pretty severely and they needed more information. So this is what he actually sent back to him. You got, this is classic. You talk about a storm, Here's, here it is. It says, he says, I am writing in response to your request for additional information in block three of the accident report form. I put, quote, poor planning as the cause of my accident. You asked for a fuller explanation, and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. He says, I'm a brick, bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later, they weighed 500, excess of 500 pounds. This is important here. He says, rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung out the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went down and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the bricks. You already starting to do the math here? How much did the bricks lay? He says, you will note block 11 of the accident report that I weigh 175 pounds. Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel, <laughs> which was now proceeding downward at an equal impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, 
minor abrasions from the broken collarbone as listed in section three of the accident report form. Slowly, no wait, slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. So he held on all the way up, right? Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold tightly onto the rope. If not, he's going to drop six floors, right? In spite of beginning to experience a great deal of pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, that barrel weighed approximately 50 pounds. I refer again to my weight. (laughs) As you can imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and several lacerations on my legs and lower body. And then he says, here, here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. That's a good thing now at this point, right? And then he says, I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, I again lost my composure and presence of mind and let go of the rope. And I lay there watching the empty barrel come down and, and uh, it landed on top of my legs. This, this explains my two broken bones. Oh, excuse me, two broken legs. All that happened because of a bad decision. He's in the storm of his life. Let me ask you, how's your day been so far? Compared to that, pretty good, right? I mean, that's an actual true story of how, you know, how storms just happen in our lives. Now, here's the thing. We're going to look at this for four weeks. And and I'll give you a theme that I've used here uh, different times over the years. And I think it's just a true theme about storms or pain or adversity you ever go through. Here it is. Some of you remember this theme. Storms can make you better or bitter. Storms or pain or adversity, trials, whatever you want to call it, can make you bitter or better. The choice is yours. Now, why did I add the phrase, the choice is yours? Because here's the thing. And I I bet you can, uh, you've, you've seen the same thing. You've talked to people in life who've gone through a storm, and they're better. Can't always explain it, but man, you, you, you meet them years after that storm, or maybe even months after the storm, or decades later, you're like, man, they went through something really horrible, but somehow they're better, even though it was something they would never want to go through. And you've met other people, am I right, that have gone through almost the same storm in their life, and they're absolutely angry and bitter people. You don't even want to be around them. It just, it just spews out of them. It's like, oh my gosh, they don't know it, but you could, you could show them another person went through the same thing and they're actually better and more characters developed and there's people that you want to be around and these people went through the same thing and they're bitter. Why? Choice. It isn't dependent on the storm. It's dependent on the choices we make in and after the storm. You hear what I'm saying? The choice is yours. You can be bitter. You can be better. It's your choice. And I know someone's like, hey, you don't understand my trout. Yeah, I don't. But all people go through trials, and some of them are a lot worse than yours, and they're better, and you're better. Why? You chose to respond the way you have. We all go through trials. I'm not kidding when I say you're either coming out of one, or you're in one, or you're headed into one. That is life. It is painful and hard at times. Am I right? Yeah. See, a lot of heads going, yep. And some of you are in a storm right now. 
You know, I remember years ago, I mean years ago, several decades ago, talking to a woman, probably she was 65, 67 years old. She's telling me her sort of her life story, which is this beautiful story. Got married in the late 40s uh, to an airline pilot who built houses, and they built a, uh, a mansion in a gated community just outside New York where he was uh, based to fly. And they had, she, she literally said four jacks and a queen, which meant four sons and a daughter. And they had this perfect little, you know, American dream family, rich, uh, in love, great kids in the 50s. And then the story starts to change. And again, she's reminiscent, and then she says, well, and then about year 25 or so of our marriage, I started to suspect that my husband, now a captain with the airlines, was having an affair. I'm like, whoa, what'd you do? And there was no private investigators you could hire, cell phones you could check. It was like she just had to sort of find out herself, and her name was Janice, and she said, I called the hotel where he laid over on most of his trips, just seeing if I could find out, and said the receptionist answered and didn't know she was talking to Captain Ralph's wife and just said, hey, has Captain Ralph checked in yet? And the receptionist just said, yeah, he just went to the room with his girlfriend. So Janice tells me, oh my gosh, I have just caught him. He comes home from that trip, she confronts him only to find out that's just one of many affairs. They end up getting divorced in 19, I think, 63, which was not a common thing in the early 60s. And she takes the two younger boys, the, the three other kids were in college at the time, the two younger boys and her moved to where her parents left because she's now a single mom and has no support system. And they move and the family's blown up. And then she tells me the rest of the story, which is after they move, they find out the youngest boy has leukemia and dies in three months. And she is now weeping and so am I. And I'm not crying just because it's a sad story. I'm crying because Janice is my mom. Craigie was my brother. I was the seven-year-old that moved with mom to Finley, Ohio. Why did we go to Finley? Because that's where her parents lived. And that's where I grew up. And I can remember laying in bed. Just me. And mom's in her bedroom, middle school, high school, yelling at God. What kind of God allows that to happen in my life? You ever been there? I've been there. And it wasn't just one night. It was most nights. I didn't know a single dude in my, in, my, in my middle school that was from a broken family. Not one. And there I am laying there, and it's like, I can't believe in the God that allows that kind of stuff to happen. So I walked away from my faith. By the way, do you know the number one reason people walk away from their faith? It isn't intellectual evidence or problems that we talked about last week on Easter. You know what it is? Pain. Storms. They walk away. You know, people that followers of Christ or followers of, you know, their religion for years, right? And then all of a sudden they walk away because they can't answer this question. How can a loving, good God allow this kind of crap to come into my life? Storms are hard, really hard. I remember laying there, like I said, night after night, wrestling with God. How can you be good when this happens? And it's always personal, isn't it? Happens to somebody else, it's bad. But when it happens to you... It's epic, and it's really, really difficult. And so the question is, okay, it isn't whether storms are going to come into our lives. The question is, will they make us better or bitter? And guess whose choice it is? Yours and mine, right? And so I'm going to walk you through uh, what we're going to do in this series. We're going to go to one book in the Bible, which right now is in the movie theaters, I literally saw it this week with Ann, went to a movie called The Apostle Paul. Anybody seen it? 
Yeah, it's really good, isn't it? It's really good. It's, you want to understand how the book of Acts was written? Go watch this movie. Luke, Jim Caviezel, plays Dr. Luke, who's beside Paul when he's in prison in Rome at the end of his life. And it walks you through the, the, the persecution of Nero with followers of Christ and how the Bible was written. Luke's taking notes on everything and writing it all down. That is the book of Acts, written by one of the most detailed writers in the New Testament, the fifth book. And he, and he talks about the Acts of the Apostles, or more specifically, the Acts of the Holy Spirit starting the church. And Paul's a big part of it. And a lot of people know the life of Paul. They don't know the backstory of Paul. Paul went through a lot of trials. And I tell you what. I grew up in a church thinking that the people in the Bible were perfect people and the people in church were perfect people and nobody doubted, nobody had questions. When you actually opened the Bible, which I never did, I started to realize, oh my gosh, these people in the Bible are nothing like the people at church. Because see, people at church are usually sort of fake, right? They're in a fight. We even said that, did you have a fight on the way to church today? Some lights went on. Probably a lot of people have those kind of things going on. But when for some reason, church people show up at church and they think you're supposed to put on the mask. You know, I'm just happy in Jesus. Everything's good. How you doing, man? Oh, brother, it's good. God is good. God is good all the time. I mean, there's nothing wrong with all that. That's all true. But when you're going through something, you think you can't reveal that at church. So you could be screaming at your wife and kids. You pull into this parking lot, it's like butterflies come out of your car. It's like, what happened, right? And so you have this idea that everybody at church has it all together. And if my life's going through a storm, it's nothing like as good as their life, right? And yet, then you pick up the Bible and you go, that's what the people in the Bible write. No, it isn't. You pick up the Bible. I hope you've read it recently. You're like, wow, these are like real people who struggle like me. They have real problems. Some of them epic problems. Some of them are really bad choices that bring the problems on. Others are just life. And they have, they cry out and complain to God a lot. It's called lament. Some of you know this. If you read your Bible, there's a whole book in the Bible called the book of Lament, lamentations, like what? That's in the Bible, a whole book. Crying, complaining, whining, guy, why, 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 what, what, what? God says, that's okay, I can take it. And then I also found as I read the Bible, these people who are real, that have real problems and real complaints also have real peace. A peace that passes all understanding. So I'm like, man, I gotta study their lives because they're real and they cry out, but God meets them right in the middle of that storm and delivers them in not always making the storm better, but delivers them even in and through the storm. So we're going to look at a storm today that Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one that's in the movie theaters, he's a big time actor right now. The Apostle Paul was in a literally a storm on an ocean. He's trying to get from Fairweathers or, or Fair Havens all the way over to Malta. And it's a long two week trip and it doesn't go well. I'm going to read to you in Acts 27. They're already on a journey. He's planting churches all over Asia Minor. And so it starts, starts there in verse 9 of chapter 27. It says, since, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because of several things, including weather, it says, because even the fast was already over, that's the day of atonement he's talking about, Paul advised them. He says, sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our very lives. So what's going on here? Paul is actually a prisoner, just like the movie. He's in, he's in Rome in prison. This is before that, but he's a prisoner. So he's brought on this boat as a prisoner. He's not, you know, with these guys. He's on there as a prisoner, but he says this. I think it's going to be a bad trip. We're all going to die on all of our cargo. Now, when a person says something like that, you got to decide who you're going to listen to. 
Like when you're in a storm, you got to decide, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to this man of God who we've heard amazing miracle stories from, or am I going to listen to a nautical seaman? Guess what they decided to do? They decided to go with the pilot of the boat. It says this, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. So what's going on? Here's what's really interesting about the Bible that I hope you understand. It's very detailed, especially Luke. He's very detailed. He's a doctor. Details matter. He's telling you all these details. Why? Because this actually happened and he wants you to, he's almost saying, check this out. Tell me this didn't happen. Go do your nautical studies and tell me this didn't happen. And he says, here's what's happened. The wind blew in nice and soft and gently. And they're like, yeah, Paul says there's a big storm coming, but Paul didn't know anything. Look, it's a spring day in Michigan. It's never going to get cold again. There's never snow coming anymore. That's what they thought. So let's go. So they pull up anchor and they take off. And guess what? A storm is waiting for them. And by the way, guess how many people were on this boat? Anybody know? 256 men. It's a big boat. I actually found a picture on the internet. A photographer was there back in the day, and he took this picture. There it is. <laughs> Paul's up there at the front. You can't see him. This is just a, uh, obviously, you, you Google or search for boats of that type of that size that would be big enough to take 256 men. So it looked like that. It's, how's it powered? By the sails, by the wind. It's very, uh, you know, it's going to be controlled by the weather. So the weather obviously really matters. So let's go back to the story. It says, but soon, remember we had gentle wind, but now soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. So what's going on? All he's trying to tell you is the wind was so strong, we couldn't control it. It, it controlled us. It says, running under the lee of the small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. It's really interesting. This week, I read a Coast Guard seaman's account of this story. He says, I've been on the, on the ocean many times. I've been in many storms. Let me tell you exactly what these words mean. He says they actually wrapped ropes around the hull of the boat to try and secure it. It was getting beaten on so hard, they thought it would break apart. And so this is something they would actually do. They do many ropes sort of to build an encasement around it. That's what he's talking about to undergird the, the boat. It says, then fearing that they would run along. Oh, wait, lowered. Yeah, it says, fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. What are they doing? They threw the anchors down. Why? Because they could not control what was happening and they thought this would slow down where it's going to meet them. It says, since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. Again, we read the Bible, we don't stop and think, wait, 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 what's just going on here? Think about this. They were going to Malta to get profit with their cargo. What'd they just decide? We're going to die if we keep this on the boat, throw away the profits. Can you imagine being the the owner of the ship? It's like, wait, 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 we're throwing away. This whole trip is going to cost me money. Yep, get rid of it. It's either that or we die. So they threw away their cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. I didn't even know what that meant. It meant they threw all the the pulley systems away to control the sails. Done. They cannot control the sails. Why? The sails aren't going to help them anyway. So again, they've they've got to lighten the boat. And it says on the third day, they threw it over. And then it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, 
all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. I highlighted that. All hope's gone. Completely gone. Paul too? Paul too. The Apostle Paul, who we would look at and say, man, this guy's closer to God than any of us. He's seen God do miracles. There's no way this guy will ever lose heart, uh, hope in that God because he knows how big God is. And Paul as well. Even though he's a prisoner and nobody's really listening to him on this boat, he has lost hope as well. It must have been epic. I've never been on an ocean in a storm like that. I've only watched movies like you, right? We sit there with our popcorn and our pop. Wow, this is terrible. (laughs) That's all we've experienced. And we're watching movies of real storms. And you're like, man, would that be the most scary thing? Yeah, it'd be absolutely terrifying to be in the middle of the ocean in this storm. And he's trying to give you an idea. This is so bad. Experienced seamen have lost all hope. They are praying to God to die because they know there's no chance. You ever been there? I remember one time being on an airline flight with my dad. Remember he's an airline pilot? I could fly free till I was 22 years of age. We went to Europe once on a free flight and he was sleeping beside me and the plane started, the, the turbulence was so bad. Literally people were praying out loud on the plane in different languages. And my dad's sleeping. I literally hit him. I must have been 11, 12 years old. I hit him. He said, Dad, look, the wing is going like this. I'll never forget. He looks at me and he looks out the wing. He goes, wake me up if it doesn't move. (laughs) Like what? People were going up and out of their seats. I was scared to death. That is a fraction of what they experienced. They gave up all hope. Let me ask you. Ever been there? Some of you are there right now. You're in the middle of a storm and you've given up. There's no hope. I remember sitting with Ann at a restaurant uh, in Rochester 12 years ago, I think it was. We're sitting with some friends and she gets a phone call from her sister and her sister had just going to a doctor. So I knew this was like important, but we didn't know how important it was. And she said, I'm going to take this outside. She went outside. She came back 10 minutes later, white. I said, what, what, what's going on? She goes, Barb just called me. Now, let me tell you who Barb is. Her older sister, their best friends. Barb led Ann to Christ, talk every day. Barb has four sons. Ann has three sons, best friends in the world. The only other female in the family besides her mom. They were just as sweet of friends as I'd ever seen. So she walks in and says, uh, Barb just met with the doctor. He said, you have stage four lung cancer. You will be dead in nine months. There is no saving you from this cancer. Like, that can't be true. She goes, I don't think it is, but that's what he said. So now we got to make decisions. There's a woman never smoked or drank in her life. She loves Jesus. I used to say, man, if I love Jesus like Barb, I'd be an amazing. I mean, she just had an unbelievable faith. And we entered into, didn't know it at that moment. That's the phone call that storms here. Boom. We're in this incredibly dark storm and it got worse and worse. Nothing worked. No treatments worked. Chemo didn't work. Alternate things. She flew all around the country trying all kinds of different types of treatment. I know many of you have been through the same thing. I would talk about it during those days, literally on stage, what we were going through and people would rush up to me and say, you got to do this, you got to do this. And we did. We tried anything and everything. We laid hands on her and prayed for her, went to healers and prayed for her. 
And eight months later, she died. We prayed God give her a new body, and he did in heaven. Wasn't the way we wanted or expected. She left her four sons. I think the oldest at that time was 17. Talk about walking through a storm with no hope. That's where they are. They're like, there is no chance of deliverance. I've been there. It's hard. Some of you are there right now. It's so hard to see God in the middle of the storm. But is he there? Nobody on that boat thought he was there. And yet it's really interesting. As you go back to the story, look what happens. Now, I'm not saying all storms go this way. But this one, this is just a true account of what happened in verse 21. It says, since they have been without food for a long time. Now, a long time is almost two weeks. They have no food. What happened? They had to get rid of their food as well. It says, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. (laughs) By the way, I highlighted what Paul said. Men, you should have listened to me. That's not a good thing to say in the middle of a storm. All right? I just found it ironic that Paul actually said, Hey, if you were to listen to me, we wouldn't be here right now. Don't say that to your spouse or anybody else in a storm. Hey, we're in this storm because you're an idiot, okay? I told you that yesterday, and here we are. Don't do that. I, 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 mean, I mean, Paul didn't need to say that, but he's right. If they were to listen, they wouldn't be there, but just don't bring that up, okay? But then we'll look what happens. It says, yet now I urge you to take heart. You know what the name of the song was they sang before I came up? Take heart. Where's that come from? Well, I'm going to show you. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, wait, wait, wait. Here's Paul, this prisoner, who they know is a holy man of God. He says, it's going to be okay. No one's going to die, just the ship's going to go down. They're like, how do you know that? Dude, I'm glad you're a think positive guy. You know, you think it, you'll live it. No, no, no. He tells them how he knows that. He says, for this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Now, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me an angel spoke to you. That's what he's saying. Look what he just says. Go on to the next one. He says, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. That's where he's going. He's going to stand trial in front of Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Oh, no, 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 no. What's going on here? Paul heard from God about their situation. So let me ask you a question. Does God still speak? See, what you believe about that answer is very critical and important. Does God still speak? Some would say, no, he's stopped speaking since the Bible. Others would say, oh, yeah, I, I, I still get messages from God. And I've always said here, I don't know if anybody's ever listened to me, but I've always said God still speaks today, and he speaks, and I gave you an acrostic. Anybody remember this acrostic? He speaks to us in the pews. Anybody? Anybody remember this? See, what do I preach for? Nobody remembers this stuff. <laughs> I remember this stuff. I'm like, oh, if I say pews, they'll never forget how he speaks. Because a lot of us grew up sitting in a pew. And it isn't, and I don't mean he speaks only at, at church. The P stands for something, the E-W-S. Anybody? The P stands for what? People. God speaks to us through people. That's the only way he could do it. But he'll speak to you through others, through your spouse, through... It could be an Uber driver. It could be a four-year-old. It could be anybody. God used a donkey to speak once. He can definitely use your spouse. It could be anybody. I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Sort of. God speaks through people. And here's the thing. Are you listening? Right now, God is speaking to the men on this boat through Paul. Right? So that's one way he speaks. Another way he speaks, the E infuses three events. 
He uses events or circumstances in our life to reveal sometimes his plan. He uses the W, the word of God. He'll speak to you through the word of God, his Bible. So let me ask you something. Have you been in it recently? How people say to me all the time, I never hear from God anymore. My first question is like, when's the last time you read the book? Uh, I don't really read it. Okay, you're not gonna hear from God. If you read the book daily, trust me, I do this. He speaks. Now, you don't hear a, a weird voice, God, this is God. <laughs> you know, my wife says something and she doesn't change her voice, but I'll be like, oh my gosh, I think God just spoke through Ann. Oh my gosh, he did. Through my wife, through events, through the word of God. How many church people don't even know the word of God because the only time they hear the word of God is right now. You think 20, 30 minutes of the word of God a week? You're gonna hear the voice of God? No, you don't even know him. It's like saying, I'm gonna become a scratch golfer. I'm gonna go play in the masters. I'm gonna play once a week for an hour. Never gonna happen. Oh, but I can walk with God that way. Never gonna happen. So it's like open the word of God and say, God speak. He will speak. Sometimes the most unique ways that words will lift off the page. You're like, how in the world am I reading that today when I'm going through this? God is speaking through the word of God. And then the S is God speaks through the spirit of God. What's that mean? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, guess where the Holy Spirit of God lives? Right in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're telling me that that spirit can't nudge you, give you nudgings and audibly speak if he wanted to and lead you in ways. He's done it thousands of times in my life. I got to lean in and listen. And here's a really important question. Who are you listening to in the middle of your storm? Seriously, who is giving you wisdom and guiding you in that storm? Are you listening for the voice of God or are you listening to the voice of man? Because man will lead you astray. God never does. So here's the thing. Paul says an angel spoke to him. So you got to add an A. If you're writing down pews, put P-E-W-S-A, Pusa. Angels can speak too. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I've never had an angel speak to me. I'm not saying Paul didn't. Paul did. How do we know he did? Because exactly what he was told actually ends up happening. It's pretty amazing. When they uh, get to the uh, shore, they find out exactly what Paul said. But I want to, I want to make a, a, just a couple thoughts. You know, the main idea is, is storms can make you better or bitter. The choice is yours. But here's a couple thoughts. When you're in a storm, do not do what so many people do. And in a, in a sort of interesting way, you look at the men on this boat and the best thing that they did or had happened to them in the middle of this literally storm is what? They had each other. Here's what typically happens to people in a storm. We go through the valley, we go through something really hard and we pull away from people and we isolate. We pull down the blinds, we shut the doors and lock them and we keep people out of our life. I don't know why we do this, but we do this. We're going through something hard. We don't want to bother anybody or we just want to just live in that pity party and we just close in. These men, because they were confined on a boat, went through this storm together. And I'll tell you something. When you go through storms with other people, you begin to sense the presence of God. How? Through those other people. It's rare that God opens the heavens and speaks out of the heavens, but it's not rare at all that God reveals his presence through the community you refuse to abandon, but to stay in. I just wrote it this way. Our pain invites God's presence. Our pain invites God's presence. What am I saying? 
that God's not there when we're not in pain. He's always there, but there's something very unique. Maybe our senses are more, more attuned to say, God, are you here? Are you here? And it's almost like he's invited in. If you invite him in to your, to your pain, you will experience his presence. And I'm telling you, if you isolate from the body of Christ, that's what the church is, the body of Christ, you will mostly feel God has abandoned you. But when you allow yourself to be in the presence of the body of Christ, other people in community, you sense, oh my God, God is actually here. How does that made known? Usually through others who are helping you, walking with you. Sometimes not saying anything, but sitting with you and crying with you. Sometimes they're bringing meals to you. Sometimes they show up. You know, when I did uh, Barb's funeral in Atlanta, I did it because I'm the pastor in the family, right? And I'm looking at the front row. Twelve grandsons are what we have between Anne's two brothers and her sister Barb. Four of them were her sons from 17 down to like nine. My youngest, Cody, was number 12. We had no girls. When we'd have family gatherings, it was chaos. There was always somebody going to the hospital. Anyway, so there they all are in the darkest hour of our family's life. Her mom and dad, Ann's parents, and her husband, and her sons, and ours, all there. And I got to get up and speak and lead this funeral. And just as I was about to get up, the back doors of this church in Atlanta I'd never been in before open up. And as I look up, it's my best friends and their wives from here who surprised us, didn't tell us, they flew down to be there for three hours and got on a plane and came right back. And when I saw them at the back of the church, it was like, it was just the reminder I needed. God's presence is right here in our darkest hour. How did I feel that? People walked in, people I'm doing life with. Because I'd invited them in and I didn't realize I was inviting in the very presence of God. Now, here's the thing. When you go through anything, no matter what you and I think, God is right there with you. And I know we want that to mean he's going to make everything perfect and he's going to make everything beautiful and he's going to heal everything. And he can do that and he does do that. But sometimes the only thing that he makes perfect is his presence is real. There's a song that came out maybe 10 years ago. I was singing it in my car on the way here by Carrie Job called I Am Not Alone. Anybody ever heard the song? You want me to sing it for you? Yeah, I'm going to sing it for you. Um, well, I'm going to sort of sing it for you. It's this beautiful chorus. I've got Mish's guitar up here that just reminds me. And as I was getting ready to kick off this series, it just reminded me that we're not alone. The chorus is just simple. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You are always with me. I don't think those are the right words. But I know there's somebody sitting over there in the audience that can really sing this. Mish, where are you? Are you in here? I asked her backstage. Oh, there she is. I said, if I grab your guitar and sing this, will you come out and save me? And she goes, yeah, I'll do it. So we didn't rehearse. You got a mic? Here's what I want you to do. This song is so, it's so simple. And yet it's so beautiful. I want you to just sort of like close your eyes. And picture Mish's articulating the words of God to you and me in the middle of our storm. I'm not going to sing it because I'd ruin it. She'll make it beautiful.
Say one more time for people that need to hear it. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will Appreciate it. Yeah, I just thought it would be worth you hearing that. Because in, in, in many ways, I think God is speaking to you and I who think we're alone in this pain. And that's typical to feel that. And yet you're sitting in a community of people all around you who I know the hearts of the people in this place, they would love to walk beside you through this. And you cannot go through this alone. Do not go through it isolated. I know you're saying, I don't know anybody. All you got to do is make one step and we'll make all the other steps. Maybe after the services, come up and pray with somebody on our prayer team. And we'll take that request and we'll put it on our prayer journal and people will be praying about that situation all week and you start uh, uh, just connecting to a community. Because God's presence is so real in the middle of our pain. It really is. And so it's really interesting how this story ends up. I'm going to just tell you the rest of it. There's too much scripture to read. And I'm going to just sort of give you the rest of the story. Remember Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Some of you are old enough and some of you are like, I don't know who that guy is. That's okay. But as I do it, I'm going to take the offering. As I finish up the message, we're going to receive the offering as I keep going. And, you know, I was thinking when I say we're going to receive the offering, some of you just said, yep, there's the storm. Giving away money, that's a storm right there. I get it. Um, and, I, and I, I understand that, but here's the, here's the truth. The people that give here, and there are thousands of you that give to Kensington. Most of you do it online. Here's what I know about you. I said this last week at Easter. I know that you believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I also know this about you. You've seen and experienced God's presence in your pain. And that's why you give back. And to you, this isn't a storm at all to give money back. It's a moment of worship to say, I'm so grateful. God didn't make everything go exactly the way I wanted to, but God was with me the whole time and his peace and his presence is real. So it's a chance for you to say thanks to God. And some of you are brand new today. Maybe you came back after last week from Easter. You're our guest. If you want to give, you can give, but you really don't have to. You're our guest. Your next step isn't to give. Your next step is go to starting point after the service and say, man, I'd like to start here. Where do I start? And we'll help you there. So here, here's the rest of the story. It's really interesting. They get close to Malta where they're trying to get, which took, guess how long? 14 days, and here's a footnote, which is really interesting. They're in this horrific storm, which they couldn't control. So they're like zigzagging all over the ocean, and they still get to their destination in 14 days. Do you know if you sit down with uh, uh, seamen in the ocean and say, how long would it take on a calm, perfect weather to get from Fair Havens to Malta? How long would it take? Guess what they'll tell you? 14 days. What? So here's the point. When you and I are in chaos and we can't seem to find direction, we don't know what's going on, God is behind putting us right there on time. It's amazing that they made it in the same time they would have if there was no storm. So it felt like this to them, but God was like, I got you. And you're going to make it. But when they get there, they're not going to be able to get there. The storm is so bad, they're going to crash into the rocks. So they jump out of the boat and swim to the island. Guess how many made it? All of them, just as Paul said, the boat shipwrecked. In fact, 
Look this up if you want. Mark Gatt, a famous researcher and diver in that area, has found what he believes is the anchor, 1,500-pound anchor from that boat. Now you say, how does he know it's that anchor? There's inscriptions on it that place it in that boat in that time. The Pope has been there. There's books written about this. Some of you are like, I need evidence. Well, there's some really strong evidence. This isn't some made-up story. That boat shipwrecked there, but they all lived. Now, here's the thing. Do storms often come in, in, um, in bunches? Yeah. Think about this. So they're all saved. They get on the island. They're sitting by a campfire. Guess what happens to Paul next? He's reaching out by the campfire. A viper jumps up, bites him on the hand. A poisonous snake. I was going to bring one and throw him out to you today. See how you react. Bites him on the hand. He's going to die from this snake bite. If you're Paul, are you not going to do what I would do? Like, seriously, God, seriously, you saved me through that for this. I'm going to die now on the beach from a little snake. He doesn't die. Read the account in Acts 27, the very end of the chapter. They're all waiting for him to die. They're watching him to die, and God heals him. And so they come to him and say, the governor of the, of the area comes to him and says, my, my father is dying. Can you come and ask God to do to him what he did to you? So Paul says, sure. And he goes over, lays hands on him, and heals his father. People of the city come to Paul, and he lays hands on him, and they heal. They're all healed. What's the point? I don't know what God's doing, but I know this. There's always purpose in our pain. In fact, my last thought is this. Pain is our platform. Pain is our platform. What's that mean? God will usually use the darkest hours of our life as a platform to help others. Now, if you're going to keep it to yourself, he can't do that. But if you're allowed, if you're willing to share that story, he will literally use your pain. Some of the darkest moments of your life as you share that or minister to others to comfort others that are going through the same thing. In fact, my wife, Ann, who's leading the the women's retreat smash said, tell the women that's the theme of smash this year. Pain is our platform. Pain is our platform. Women sign up and get there. You don't want to miss it. I'll close with this. It's so true. The worst probably moment, not probably, the worst moment of my marriage of, of 37 years was year 10, the year we started Kensington. Many of you have heard this story. I can't go into details because of time, but I'll tell you this. On our 10-year anniversary date, my wife said to me, to a man who thinks our marriage is awesome, She says to me, I've lost my feelings for you. I don't want to be married to you anymore. Some of you have heard that story. We've told it many times. The worst moment of my marriage, and when I heard that, and we got through it, obviously, I thought, I'll never tell this story to anybody. I don't want anybody to know that window of our marriage. And yet we believe God wanted us to tell that to help other marriages. So as we spoke around the country at marriage conferences, we tell that story. And Family Life, who we speak for, came to us and said, we're... We're doing the six-hour video marriage uh, series called The Art of Marriage. Could we come up and shoot you telling that story? We'd like to put it somewhere in this thing. I'm like, yeah, whatever you want to do. So we drive over to do this video shoot, and Ann's like, what are we doing? I don't know, some little thing. They want to shoot us. I didn't shave. She didn't put on makeup. We go in there, and they shoot this thing. And then they take it off. We're like, did you ever do anything with that? Yeah, we put it on The Art of Marriage. It's coming out. This was 10 years ago. I talked to the guy this year. I said, how many people have watched that Art of Marriage thing? He said, oh, it's closing in on a million. So a million people watched the worst moment in my marriage on the Art of Marriage. People come up to me all the time and say, hey, I watched you on the Art of Marriage. I'm like, great. You saw me at the worst moment of my marriage. And they, go, they look at me like, no, no, you don't understand. You saved my marriage. What? God used that powerfully. We've shown that to hundreds of people in our family room. 
God is using that story to save marriages. Our book's coming out in January. It's on that story. It's like pain is your platform. If you're willing to share with others that God got you through the darkest storms of your life, God will use it to literally save and heal other people. Pain always has a purpose. You're going to be better. You're going to be bitter. The choice is yours. So here's how we're going to end the day. We're going to recreate a storm. Just the sound effects of a storm in the middle of an ocean. It's going to feel like you're on a boat with the wind and the thunder and the waves crashing in. Why are we doing that? We just sort of want you to feel it. And as you feel it, pray. If you're in a storm like that right now, say, God, I need to know you're here. I need to feel your presence. Can you give me hope? Ask him for that. If you're not in a storm, I bet you know somebody that's in a storm. Pray, God, can you use me? Would you like to use me to help them to to know that you're with them as well? And then we're going to sing a song called It Is Well. It's a beautiful song that I sing as a kid in church. It's a hymn. How many sang it? It is well. You know the song, right? It's beautiful. I didn't know the story. Horatio Spafford, a man who wrote that song, lost his wife. Or, well, he had five kids. His wife, Anna, was on a boat going to Europe before he was going to follow them. And four of his daughters died as the boat went down in the ocean. And when he got on the boat to go meet his wife in Europe, the captain of his boat said, this is the area where you lost your daughters. And he said, it is well. And he wrote this song. Even though all this is going on out there, inside it is well. And so we're going to invite you to sing that with us. Sometimes we sing what we believe. Other times we sing it until we believe. So allow God to speak to you through this moment.
You know, you gotta, you gotta wonder, how does a guy write a song like that when his four daughters were drowned in the ocean? I think it's in that last lyric, through it all, through it all, my eyes were on you. Where we look in a storm is critical. You can look at the storm and be overwhelmed, or you can look at the one who's standing with you in the storm, not knowing exactly how it's going to play out, but you know you're not alone. And even though it's not well out there, it's well in here. That's only done. It's only possible through the Jesus who makes his presence as known as ever in the middle of our storm. I literally prayed with a guy right over here, a friend who fell off a roof last year and was paralyzed from the waist down. And I put my hands on his knees and prayed again for a miracle healing. And he hasn't seen a physical miracle healing yet. It's been over a year. And yet, as I looked into Bud's eyes, I could see it as well in his soul. And I, it's, that's hard to describe apart from Jesus. That's the peace that's possible. That's the hope you and I can have. So if you need to, come forward now and pray with somebody before you leave this building. Just release something if you need to, and they'll pray over you over that and continue to pray for that. And then come back next week as we uh, go into week two. And then again, next Sunday night, we have a service tonight at six o'clock, but next Sunday night will be an epic night of baptisms. And maybe you want to get baptized, sign up for that as well. And we'll baptize you next Sunday night. God bless you. Have a great week. See you next week.